Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. We're headed into Thanksgiving, a holiday centered around the idea of abundance and gratitude. But what about people who are struggling to pay all of their bills and buy enough groceries for their family members? More Minnesotans are having a hard time buying enough food for themselves and their families. Food Shelves and other organizations that provide meals say the number of people seeking help is on the rise. And many financial support programs that were in place during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic have now ended. And inflation is pushing up the cost of not only food, but other essentials. So today, I really want to talk about what food insecurity means and what can be done about it. What is happening uh, to to help people? I want to hear from you too. Our phone lines are open as they are each day at 9 a.m. And I want to know, have you ever had a hard time buying enough food for yourself or your family? And what is it like to face this kind of stress? What expenses have you tried to cut to afford groceries? And where have you found support? What ideas do you have for how Minnesota can solve the problem of hunger? We'll talk about it all this hour. Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, that number is 651-227-6000. Or you can call us at 800-242-2828. Tweet me at Angela Davis NPR. I have two guests in studio with me. We have Allison O'Toole. Allison is the CEO of Second Harvest Heartland, which distributes food to about 400 food shelves in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Good morning, Allison. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We also have with us Daisy DeLeon Escada. Now, Daisy is the manager of the Echo Food Shelf in Mankato. She's also here in the studio with me. And Daisy, thank you for driving up from Mankato today for this conversation. Thank you for inviting me as well. So there's been a lot of talk, many news reports right now about food insecurity getting worse, both nationally and here in Minnesota. So I just want to start with that. Is that what you're seeing? Is that how you would describe it, Allison? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I can't wait for the day when I can say the tough times are are behind us. They're not. Times are tougher than ever before right now. And we... um, know that grocery bills and everyday expenses are off the charts, making them really hard, if not impossible, for families to afford. So people are struggling to make ends meet and afford the basics like milk and cereal and turkey. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we've seen, we've also seen an increase and Daisy can talk about it uh, uh, in more detail, but we're seeing, we're hearing about a 40% increase in food shelf visits across our state. So more visits from more people. So does that indicate you're getting some families or people coming for the first time? Yeah, I think that's right. And Daisy, again, will know, you know, Have the, you seen that as yeah. well, Daisy, that people um, for the first time are coming for help? Yes, we are seeing people that are coming in for the first time. Our numbers have actually increased um, from 2019 to now from 85 average households per day to now we're seeing 110, 120. Um, and and there's families that are coming in for the first time, and then there's some that have not been to the food shelf in years and are now finding themselves in this predicament and coming back to the food shelf. And what are those conversations like, and what do you sense in terms of, of, you know, how people are, you know, expressing and even just carrying themselves, right? Because I'm sure there is just some, you know, maybe... Is there shame attached to it or just frustration? Um, I think there's a combination of of everything. And um, some people are grateful. Some are, are are afraid. Some, some you know, there's there's some shame. But 
as as I was saying, we have to acknowledge those emotions and just say, hey, it's okay to feel that, mm-hmm. but I'm glad you took that step to come to the food shelf and, and get the help that you need at the time when you need it the most. And Allison, do you see that too in some of the conversations of what you're hearing from your staff? Like, what are people saying when they come, many for the first time? Yeah, I think one of the most important things we can do here today, Angela, um, is to make sure that people know that if they need help, to keep asking for it. We are here for them. That's our job, the Hunger Relief Network. And we're hearing that families are just are having to make really tough choices about what to prioritize in their family budget. That We know that the food budget is always the first to be compromised, that families generally pay their rent, they um, pay their heating bills, they put gas in their car so they can get to work, and the food budget is is compromised. And it's easy to understand that right now because food is so expensive. We, um, you know, eggs are up a buck. So they're over three, $3. For a dozen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Milk is up um, 30 cents on the dollar. That's a lot for those basics. And so we hear, um, you know, some of the most requested items uh, at food shelves are those basic items. So so families are struggling. As we talk about numbers, um, you know, Second uh, Harvest Heartland, uh, you, you're, you're buying food for distribution. So give us some numbers. How, how much more food do you think you're buying than you have in your, compared to years past? We're buying 93% more food than ever before. And that's because... Um, donations for from um, corporations are down because supply chains are tight. Um, channels of food that come through the federal government uh, are way down, and so we are ha- and our need is up. And so it's sort of the perfect storm for us as a food bank, um, and we're having to buy more than ever before, and that makes it that's expensive. So when you think about what what families are seeing at the grocery store and those price increases. Our prices are increasing, too, um, for the food we buy. So they're up about 25% across and I, the board. I want to make sure I got that right. You yep. said you're buying 93% more food for distribution. Than we have in the past. Daisy, uh, tell us more about what Echo Food Shelf uh, does there in Mankato. So we are um, we provide emergency food assistance to families that live in Mankato or in the surrounding area. Um, because we live in a hub, there are times when um, Mayo or some of the clinics will refer people from outside of our service area. So we also help them with those grocery needs. We um, we provide a monthly food package that's about four to seven days worth of food. We try to make sure that it's healthy, that it has everything from my plate, also making sure that we are meeting the needs of our culturally diverse uh, clients. What does that mean, meeting the needs of culturally um, diverse clients? So Second Harvest, um, I, and I, before the show I was telling Allison, um, mm-hmm. Allison, like that was like the best thing you you guys have ever done, right? And there's a lot of th- great things that have come out of Second Harvest, but um, we're our Minnesota is becoming more diverse, mm-hmm. and and I it, it's not you, you know before we used to give food out, and I would say, oh, you can make a hot dish out of this. Well, not everybody likes hot dish, and that's not always their comfort food. So having things that for some people might not be something they enjoy, but others do, like having cactus, having maseca. Um, oil, flour, those are basic needs for some of our families that are using the food shelf and making sure that we have those available for them. Um, you know, it's not just giving them food, but it's giving them food that they're actually going to consume. So culturally specific. Yes. Or, or I'm thinking right now, I just bought a lot of collard greens. 
for oh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, yes. right. So if you think about the range of vegetables, uh, collard greens, yes, right. It's not spinach, eggplant. It's not kale, right? So that that's good. And then what does that say to a person when they see like, oh, like this is actually something that I look forward to taking, and that you've taken the time to to provide it. I, I think um, you know, first of all, they're excited, and then there's also this. Um, they feel accepted, right? Mm-hmm. We are considering what their needs are and and saying, hey, we're going to do the best that we can to be able to meet those needs. Why did Second Harvest uh, make that a priority to start offering a wider range of foods, Allison? So two reasons. One, we hear from partners like Daisy mm-hmm. that, that those are what those items are needed. But what has happened through the pandemic is that um, the disparities in who is hungry have been revealed again, yet again. And so we call that the racial hunger divide. It is the fact that communities of color experience at least twice the rates of food insecurity than their white neighbors. But let me put a little more detail around that. One in four black Minnesotans are hungry. One in five Hispanic Minnesotans, that's compared to one in 25 white people in Minnesota, we have to do better. So at Second Harvest Heartland, you know, we're that backbone of the Hunger Relief Network. So we get real smart from people like Daisy and all our other partners on what we're sourcing and who we're sourcing it from. So we're investing millions of dollars mm-hmm. in making sure people and communities have the food they know and love and will eat um, so they can thrive. Well, I'm happy to hear about that communication. A lot of thought is being uh, put into what you're providing and um, finding out what people say they need and what they want. If you're just joining us, we're talking about food and we're also talking about hunger. Have you ever had a hard time buying enough food for yourself or your family? And describe to us, what is it like to face this kind of stress? And what have you tried to do to to uh, to cut back, to afford food uh, in a, an easier way? Uh, we're talking about solutions as well. Who's helping? And what ideas do you have for how Minnesota can solve the problem of hunger. Call us at 651-227-6000. Let's take some phone calls uh, now. Uh, In Plymouth, we have Shane on the phone. Hi, Shane. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Hi. What did you want to share with us? Uh, Well, um, I I called in to say that I've I've had food insecurity Uh, about six years ago as a a married couple with two kids uh, trying to live on $35,000 a year down in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. There were weeks where we'd have only $20 for food. And so, you know, we'd basically be living on oatmeal, cabbage, and potatoes because those are the cheapest things you could buy. And I was too proud uh, to ever go into a food shelf. In fact, to this day, I've never been to a food shelf. But um, there was a man named Martin that ended up finding my wife walking on the side of the road. We lived down a dirt road, and um, he gave her a ride and um, ended up finding out that we didn't have uh, – a lot of food, you know, we were really struggling and he worked with the food shelf. He ended up bringing us boxes of food all the time. And that really helped a lot. Um, and my way out of that was, uh, was to, um, you know, get more certifications, education, become more aggressive about finding, uh, job opportunities. And I ended up finding a great job here in Minnesota, working for the state. I moved my whole family up here <laughs> and we're doing really good now. Um, that's a and part of that. Part of that too is identifying. Uh, I'm also a veteran, a disabled veteran, and I didn't know that I was entitled to disability. And the state actually reached out to me. Ended up identifying me as a veteran, and reached out to me, and made the effort um, to mm-hmm. to bring me in and give me some of the benefits that I was entitled. 
Oh, Shane, well, welcome to Minnesota. And uh, I appreciate you calling and sharing uh, what your family uh, has been through. And, and now does that make you, um, you know, obviously, you understand it's and, and listening to this conversation, does it um, make you feel good to know that, uh, that, that there are opportunities for people to get help and that, you know, that you have a chance now just to share with people that, yeah, go get it, right, that you should do it, because it's, it's a service that's offered. And it's, um, you know, it's of a great, you know, way to help reduce the stress that you must have been living with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the, for, for those people that have struggled in the past and are no longer pay it forward, you know, I do. And, and the other thing too, is I think that the state um, can keep doing what it's doing and, and do a better job of reaching out to people uh, because some people are too proud to go in to the mm-hmm. food shelf. And there's a lot of people that are entitled benefits. that don't know that they're entitled to benefits. Mm-hmm. All right. That's Shane in Plymouth. Thank you, Shane. And uh, have a, a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family. Uh, Allison, what can the state do? What in terms of policy, the state, state legislature, like what, what can be done on that level? I'm so glad you asked. Um, we, had the privilege of hosting the governor and lieutenant governor on Monday this week at Second Harvest Heartland. So we talked a lot about this. And the state has a more than $10 billion surplus sitting there. We need to put that to good use for the, for Minnesota families. And so when I think about it, <clears throat> it's about, um, you know, enhancing the funding or bolstering the funding for food shelves and food banks so they can meet the challenges ahead. It's in uh, bolstering the funding for the food we get, the Minnesota food, the Minnesota milk, produce, protein. But it's also about making big, bold change and investing in things like universal school meals. Daisy mentioned a minute ago that we saw a lot during the pandemic. Some of those programs were enhanced and and um, we had extra flexibility Uh, to try some new things. And universal school meals were available during the pandemic. It works. It works. Hungry kids can't learn. And so when we think about permanent changes, that is a game changer for kids and for Mm -hmm. families in our state, frankly. And Daisy, what did you see during the height of pandemic when they're like, some of the rules were just thrown away? They're like, we're just going to do this, right? And what have you seen that has changed since then? Um, well, during the pandemic, we actually saw our numbers decrease by almost half. And that was due to these programs being established and money going out. Stimulus and, checks. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and people were saying, I don't need the food shelf. I don't have to be visit the food shelf. And what people need to understand is... Um, the food shelf is not a hanging out, you know, it's not a place where you go and hang out and you're like, yeah, whatever, you know, I, I mean, it's like you're going there because you feel and, and you, you know that you need food. Um, and, and for the most part, you know, if people don't need food, like you'll ask them, why, why haven't you been here for a couple months? And they'll say, well, I didn't need to come. I, I had plenty of money. I, I had plenty of food. Um, but yeah, we saw those programs work and I mean, I, I don't think you can say right. And more. Allison mentioned, you know, the universal school lunch program. Uh, <clears throat> it was expanded to offer free lunch to all K through twelve students during the pandemic, but then it stopped. Um, what did you hear from families, or did you see an impact from that, Daisy? Um, well, I, you know, our numbers are, are speaking for themselves. They they've risen. Um, we are seeing a lot more families with children. We actually. Um, are seeing about 39, 39% of all of our visits made to the food shelf are children under the age of 17. So the, the person who actually comes? Um, well, 
Um, so w- well, when we look at their families, right? Okay. They're, um, Who's getting the food, right? Yep. There's 39% of them that are children. They're 17 and under. And Allison, as you look at a description of who is receiving the food, what do you see? I mean, there's nothing more important in, I think, our minds. I will speak for myself, but I bet it's true for you too, Daisy, to make sure kids have enough food. Mm-hmm. Um, that is our future. And I think it's it is time that we get really serious about how we take care of each other right now. We know what works. We've been through three years of a hunger surge. We know what works. We need to invest in policies and programs that will support Minnesota families um, and get them on to better days. You know, Angela, one other thing I'm going to mention here, too, because when you think about the legislative session coming up, it's in a couple months, um, and a big change a bold move like universal school meals, 62% of Minnesotans support it. This is a no-brainer. And this can make the change that we need to cut our rates of food insecurity. They've been going up and up. And we are rich in both resources and food in this state and Mm -hmm. generosity. We've got to fix it. And we know what happens when a child is hungry and in school, right? They're distracted. They can't focus. It affects behavior. Do you do you hear that, or can you? <laughs> they get in trouble, <laughs> yes. a lot of trouble. Yes. Yeah. Do you hear those stories as well? We, we, do. Um, it, it, we, we do. We do, and you know, it's it's our um, it, it is it is our responsibility, and it's it's the states to be able to to do something. And and as we've said, we know what works. Um, and in the meantime, um, because those programs are not in place. That's why we're seeing this record high numbers mm-hmm. at food shelves all over the state of Minnesota. All right, let's take more phone calls as we talk about food insecurity and what's being done uh, to help and just the severity of the problem. Uh, what ideas do you have for how Minnesota can solve the problem of hunger? And has this been part of your experience? Have you ever had a hard time buying enough food for yourself or your family? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Uh, let's go to Fargo and talk to Jessica. Jessica, thank you for calling in. And what did you want to tell us? Thank you. I just wanted to talk about what it feels like to be hungry because you asked. Um, I got divorced and um, when I got divorced, I weighed about 130 pounds. I was a single mom and I was working at a grocery store, a big box grocery store. You'd all know the name. It's a Minnesota company. And um, I just couldn't make enough money to um, cover all the bills. And so it was constant juggle. What I did to be able to pay my bills is I always made sure my kids had a meal at night, but I would cook dinner for them and then I would go take a shower. And um, there wasn't enough. Um, And what that feels like, what that does to you is that your body starts to eat itself. And so I wake up in the middle of the night with horrible cramps like in my legs that just like I would wake up screaming because they hurt so bad. I was at work on concrete eight hours for my shift. And, you know, they never gave you 40 hours a week. It was always 20 or 25 until it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, and you'd be working, finally get a good paycheck. But you knew you had to save it because they'd cut your hours in January. And then, you know, it just, to get the food um, stamps, you had to work 30 hours a week. So if you cut your hours down, you have to be scrambling. I mowed lawns. I did all kinds of physical labor. And within a year, I only weighed like 112 pounds. I lost some of my hair. I mean, it I just want people to know like what it feels like. I would have loved to sit down to dinner with my kids and I couldn't. 
because the smell of food alone was enough, you know. Um, Jessica. The first time I went to food shelf, I wept, mm-hmm. you know. Um, my idea is pay people. I didn't have 30 hours a month to go run around to the food shelf and to welfare offices getting so-called trainings. I just needed a paycheck that covered the bills. So pay people. That's my idea. And as you're going through all this, you're still a parent, right? You're, yeah. you're, you're physically and mentally suffering, but you're still parenting your kids. And even though my poverty level wage qualified for food stamps, it didn't qualify for a lot of things because there were waiting lists. I was on waiting lists for child care that was five years long. I was on waiting lists for housing that was not even taking people anymore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and on top of that, I was paying $227 a month for my kid to go to preschool. Um, there was no free kindergarten at that time either. And so I was paying for that. It just, you know, it's almost a full-time job just to get the support that you need from all of the different organizations. Yes. Thank God they're there because it mm-hmm. saves lives. But just pay people a wage that they can get by on. And Jessica, it, I worked so hard. I've never worked harder than I did those years of my life. Jessica, are things better now? Are you finding um, the resources you need to, to get enough food into your home to take care of your kids and so yourself? I actually, mm-hmm. I actually had a car accident in 2015. I was I um, I was doing I was starting to get on my feet, and then I had a car accident, and um, um, that has left me with ongoing medical debt, um, despite the fact that there were two insurances involved. And so today I just did the happy dance this morning when I found out that um, the Biden administration was going to continue to delay student loan payments because that's going to help us get through the next few months. Well, Jessica, uh, thank you for sharing so much. I'm so sorry for uh, the the extremely difficult times that you have had, but um, I'm just proud of you for for being strong and being persistent and resilient and for taking care of your children. And um, I'm hopeful that you will continue to get the support that you need. Thank you, Jessica. Thank Um, you. Thank you for calling. Uh, That was hard to listen to, but real stories from real people. Um, And this is, uh, you know, I think one of the misconceptions people have uh, is that folks aren't willing to work hard enough or do enough. And clearly, you know, she's an example of someone who was doing everything she could and still struggling. Have you? What do you take from what Jessica shared, Allison? Well, um, that she's brave for sharing it. So mm-hmm. thank you. Our goal is always mm-hmm. to make sure that if people need help, that they know we're there for them. We've got them. Um, and so to reach out and keep reaching out. Um mm-hmm. I also think, you know, these these issues um, are complex. It makes me go back to what I said just a minute ago. It's time to get really serious about how we take care of each other. And from my perspective, if we're not all fed, if we are not all fed, we're not going to get much else right. Hungry kids can't learn. Hungry employees aren't productive. And hungry parents. And hungry parents. Right. And you think about those choices. Why are we having families make those choices? And, and you hear the story, right, about parents, adults who make personal sacrifices. They don't eat so that their children have enough and, to eat. In the mental all the time. He- yeah. Mm-hmm. And the mental health consequences of that, not being able to provide for your children, is enormous. Mm-hmm. Um, she mentioned a lot in her call. What did you hear, Daisy, that really stands out to you? Um, you, you know, those are the it's, – it's always the same stories. Um, people don't want to be in poverty. Uh, people are are working, but the jobs are not paying enough. And um, 
if if rent was expensive, <laughs> it's gone up. Um, mm-hmm. y- you know, every, people are just not making enough money to be able to pay for their basic needs. Mm-hmm. They were not making enough money back in 2019. They're still not making enough money now that prices and everything has gone up. Mm-hmm. And and it's the same story across, uh, just across the board. Yeah. I just, Angela, I just got a um, message from one of our other partners um, at Loaves and Fishes who said mm-hmm. there's more and more families driving up who are living in their cars. And that is more a, families are living in their cars yeah. because of rent being mm-hmm. so high and right. wages not That's right. keeping up. Uh, Jessica mentioned um, SNAP, um, food, the federal food program. And I know Second um, Harvest is doing some work trying to get people, more people enrolled in SNAP. Tell us uh, about that process and what would that do for a family? So um, you asked me earlier, mm-hmm. Angela, about what we can do at the state level. Um, and we talked about a number of things, including universal school meals. SNAP, uh, otherwise known as food stamps, is a federal program. So it's administered by us as a state, by the Department of Human Services, but it's actually a federal program. So, um, and I think, uh, you know, we saw again through the pandemic enhanced benefits, enhanced SNAP benefits. They worked. And so let's make sure that the SNAP program has the resources it needs to be able to provide for families. Right now, we've got um, some of those pandemic uh, waivers and uh, enhancements in place still, but the average SNAP benefit for a single person is about $200. That's going to go away probably in January or February. $200 a month? $200 a month. And I wonder if it's helpful to SNAP is a program that it's just common sense grocery help. So it is a program that if you're eligible, you get a card that you go to the grocery store with and buy groceries for you and your family. So like a debit card. A debit card, Mm -hmm. an EBT card. And so again, common sense grocery help, it is a no-brainer for families. Mm -hmm. So, And when you think from my perspective at Second Harvest Heartland, we provide more than 110 million meals every year. SNAP has nine times that power. And so when you think about if we're going to really move the dial and cut food insecurity rates, we're going to advocate like crazy for programs like SNAP to be bolstered. Mm-hmm. And Daisy, anything you would add about what you've seen, uh, families who are enrolled in SNAP and how that's been able to help them or that more people need to, to <laughs> seek it out for assistance? Um, I, I was speaking to somebody who was in SNAP and, and they were telling me how it had it, it was just so much easier knowing that they were receiving that additional right. help. Um, and, and she has children and she said, you know, I'm, I'm able to buy some of the stuff that they like, that mm-hmm. they like to eat. So some treats um, where a lot of the times if you're dealing with food insecurity and, and you don't have access to healthy food, um, you're not buying those those items. You're buying things that you're going to be able to stretch your meal with. Um, you're buying produce that's on sale and... And um, it's it's pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take an, another phone call. Uh, in Perm, Minnesota, we have John on the phone. Good morning, John. Thank you for calling in. And what did you want to ask or share with us as we talk about food insecurity? Yeah, good morning. Um, first of all, I agree 100% with the universal school lunch program idea. And I see what these kids eat, empty calories, high sugar, mm-hmm. no all fat. And it's just disgusting that we actually feed our kids and stuff. But never mind that. Where do we get uh, people or organizations that would help us push this? And who do we contact besides just our local uh, state rep? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's John in Perm. Um, 
when are we just gonna like like make school lunch free for everybody? Like, what what is that happening? Is it are we on the path to that happening? This universal, you know, free lunch. I am forever hopeful, and I think we are solidly on a path. Um, an organization called Hunger Solutions Minnesota really leads the coalition around universal school meals. They brought it was before the legislature last year. Not much got done. Um, and, you know, again, we hosted the governor and lieutenant governor on Monday. They are behind this. 62% of Minnesotans support it. Let's get it done. So, John, keep calling your your reps. Um, tune in to the coalition if you'd like. Uh, you can go to the Hunger Solutions website. We will have um, information on our website, too, at toharvest.org. Um, and we need everyone to come to the table to make this happen. This is a game changer for kids. Mm. And uh, after the news break, we're going to continue to talk about solutions because I don't want people to feel like despair. And I know that's a message you want to get out too, right? Yeah. That there is a way to uh, address this problem and a lot of good things are happening. It, it, that's important for you to share, Daisy, as well, you said to me. <laughs> Which part? That, uh, that you don't want people to feel hopeless about this. No, we don't. Um, can I can I share something mm-hmm. with – so um, because I feel like it's, it's – um, so we send out an appeal letter every every so often, and this is something that was ran by one of our board members. He came up here back in 2018 to take a position at MSU, and he was always being told how um, Minnesota is such a great state and how greater Minnesota is, is a great place to live. Um, and they were telling him all these great things about Minnesota, like hot dish and uh, snowshoeing, curling. But in his letter, he writes... I'd contend, however, that it is what Mankatoans do for Mankatoans that make this such a great place to live. As a volunteer and board member at Echo Food Shelf, I get to see service and support in action every week. With inflation at historic highs and the economy still in recovery, families, children, and the elderly in need still have our support. And Echo Food Shelf and all the other food shelves cannot provide the support without you. Um, you know, I think the hope at the moment until we are able to to make some um, decisions at the political level. It's um, to ask our Minnesotans who can support either through donations or through volunteering um, to call those local food shelves, to call Second Harvest, volunteer, or, or to just send in that donation that is so much needed. Um, and, and I think right now that's kind of where our hope is um, until we're things together. Are, are able we're to move along. Yes. All right. And we have another person we can talk to right now about what's going on and who's helping out. Rob Williams is on the line. Rob is the president and founder of Every Mill, and that is a nonprofit uh, organization based in Roseville that distributes food to students. Yes, school children. Rob, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. So, Rob, uh, tell us more about uh, Every Mill. Uh, what do you do? How, how do you handle this food distribution to students? Absolutely. So, Every Meal is um, focused on kids and, and kids facing food insecurity and hunger. And in the state of Minnesota, depending on how you measure it, there's about 300,000 kids facing food insecurity. And the biggest food gap that these kids face is the weekends. There are the weekends when they don't have access to the different mm-hmm. um, you know, meal programs at school. Mm-hmm. And so Every Meal works with about 430 schools in the state of Minnesota. Uh, it's about a fourth of the schools in the state, making sure that any kid in those schools that wants or needs food for the weekends are able to take a bag of food home every weekend during the school year. 
Well, what's in that uh, bag of food? Tell me what's going in these backpacks and going home. Yeah, well, we have about 25 different menus, and those are split into different types. Um, that makes sense for the kids. So we say, you know, we provide what we call good food, which is what we define as nutritious, delicious, and relevant. So we have some registered dietitians that do the nutritional content, make sure the food tastes good through taste tests. And then we have different culturally tailored food um, or situationally tailored. So, um, you know, if you're family that is used to cooking dried rice, then great. You can sign up for a bag that might have a lot of dried rice and that kind of thing. Um, If you don't have access to a kitchen, it might make more sense to sign up for a different one of our bags that has more, you know, low prep or no prep food items. So maybe sandwiches or like a a meal kit so you could make like tacos or something and then maybe canned food. So you get to select what you want. Yeah, so it's a shelf, the shelf-stable meal bags or food bags. Um, in general, the food can go together. You could also use them as different staple items. Um, you know, sometimes we send like masa flour and the, the the bag tailored for more Latino, Latina dietary preferences, um, that kind of thing. What about fruits and vegetables too? Yep, it is canned, um, but we, you know, look for low sugar, mm-hmm. um, low added sugar, and, um, you know, different preservatives, the, the dietitians know a lot mm-hmm. more about I, I'm just trying to get different calculations. trying to get a visual on it on it Robs but how did your organization get started like who decided that this is this would be helpful and recognizing the need that that over Saturday and Sunday that you're going to have kids that just are not getting fed how did you get started so we started um, really as a response to a request from a principal and, and we hear this request from principals and social workers and teachers um, all the time. And the principal said there's kids facing, um, you know, at the lunch line, they're taking extra food from from lunch and kind of sneaking it into their pockets. And she said these, you know, there's behavior issues with these same kids leading up to the weekends because they they know the instability that they're expecting or knowing is going to come on the weekends of a lack of food access. Mm -hmm. And she said, is there anything you can do to help the kids? And so... In 2010, we started with 27 kids at what's now Las Estrellas Elementary in Northeast Minneapolis, used to be called Sheridan, um, and, you know, just kept mm-hmm. gave kids a bag of food for the weekend. And we lo- the food lo- loosely follows the USDA MyPlate. So there's a fruit, a vegetable, a protein, a grain, that kind of thing. And Rob, uh, tell me about the feedback uh, results. Uh, how do you know that this is having a positive um, impact? Yeah, so we do. Um, we actually have a research project going on right now in partnership with the University of Minnesota for um, consumption rates and which food makes sense and how it's helpful for the families. Um, but we certainly get, uh, you know, the families can take a survey and kind of give their feedback on not just how the bag overall, the food bag is helpful, but even on specific items. So they could say, you know, I have this bag from the school and it was, I didn't like the, I don't know, the green beans didn't taste good. My kids didn't like it. And so we can actually track what brand that is, and, and we we buy all the food we provide. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we I, I'm wondering, about, have you vendors. seen, have the school uh, leaders reported like an, an improvement in behavior and attitude and just a, a, a relief uh, in these students? Yeah, so they, um, you know, the the I think we can all agree, or if you've ever had a kid that's hungry, you know, they're like Allison said earlier, there's, you just you can technically learn, but it's it's so much more difficult to be able to be attentive and um, you know pay attention and 
in class. And so the, the improvements for kids facing food insecurity and then have access to weekend food program, um, you know, you see, you see improvement in their academics and their attention. And the school staff, uh, their, they're their saying that, that they, they, they've seen that it's making a difference. Yes. And it's, you know, we don't, we, it's hard to pull studies because you'd have to have a control group and withdraw food from certain people. But um, yeah, so the schools, it's, mm-hmm. it's behavior. It's, it's even, which for me is a, a more sobering um, understanding, but it's, it's even self-esteem, um, which is really I'm sure. unfortunate that, that kids, you know, nothing of themselves, but there's a self-esteem component of just whether their family is able to, to, to purchase food or not. And what we've been talking about, just the demand is up for food. And um, what have you seen? Have you seen an increase in demand in the last few months? And uh, what about, I know, you know, we talk about weekends, uh, families you know, or kids going home and not having enough food. What about these long holiday breaks? Uh, we have, you know, a four-day break coming now for Thanksgiving, Christmas, they may be out for two weeks. Uh, any change this year compared to years past? Absolutely. We've seen a, a huge increase Um We've seen about 34 to 35% increase in kids in our schools asking for food support. Mm-hmm. And we expected about a 17% increase, as, you, as Allison and Daisy were sharing, about the different pressures that families are facing. Um, and it's 34 to 35%. And, and what's that, what that has caused is typically we do, as you mentioned, the, the winter break and Thanksgiving and winter break and spring break are also significant food gaps. And we've actually had to eliminate our winter break program, which um, typically involves about 120 different locations throughout the state where kids can go and access food. Um, Just due to the high demand in our weekend program, we need to reallocate that food to be able to use um, to serve those kids in the weekend program. And it's a very hard decision. Um, so you just said you have to, you, know, we, you, this year, you will not be able to send food home to cover the winter break when, which maybe, maybe two weeks when school kids will be out. You will not, in the past, you've been able to send home food in the backpacks, but this year you cannot. In the past during winter break, which yeah, two to three weeks, even mm-hmm. um, we have opened community sites. So think libraries, fire stations, city halls, um, anywhere that's out in the community close to where the kids live, mm-hmm. where the kids can go and get food during those three weeks. We also send the food home when they're at school. But during those three weeks, they can go and get the food. We have had to 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 eliminate that program or cancel that program for this year due to the high need. Mm. Um, and again, we the only gap is food because we, we purchase all the food that we provide. I understand. Um, uh, Rob Williams, uh, president and founder of Every Meal there in Roseville, a nonprofit uh, that distributes food to students. Uh, Rob, thank you for the work that you're doing, and thank you for sharing uh, the work that you're doing here uh, on NPR News. And uh, if someone wanted to help Rob, uh, do you all take donations? Uh, How could someone who wanted to support Every Meal do that? Yeah, we, as I'm sure Allison and Daisy will share or can share as well, Food donations are great, but we can buy way more food with per dollar than the mm-hmm. average consumer. And so monetary donations at everymeal.org slash give are certainly 
um, super effective as they are for other organizations in your community that are supporting kids and families and adults and seniors who are facing facing hunger. Everymail.org. Thank you. Again, that's Rob Williams. Uh, Take a little breath here. (laughs) What did you hear and what he shared, uh, Allison? I hear the same message. Um, Families are struggling. So I hear the same message. Families are struggling um, and need more help than ever before. And what is great about our state, I am a forever optimist, Angela, is that we have a really strong hunger relief network. And I know we all work together. And for families, I just want to reiterate this point. If people need help, it's there. Please ask. Um, go to twoharvest.org slash get help. Find a food shelf in your community. Get connected with SNAP. You know, when I think about the SNAP program, Angela, so I'm talking about immediate help. Go see Daisy and her team. They are ready for you. We've got you. Um, but then when I think about those policy changes coming, some of the policy changes that happened during the pandemic for, for on programs like SNAP, they covered those summer meal times or those break mm-hmm. times. They give consistent access to food for families that need it. And we need to go back to those. We It works. It mm-hmm. works. It is a no-brainer. So when I think about what people can do to help, you know, we all say, if you can give financially, please do. If you can volunteer your hours, please do. We all need that. Use your voice to advocate for change and use your voice to make it okay to ask for help. And that is really important right now. And I'm thankful for this conversation mm-hmm. today. And Daisy, Rob, uh, there with Every Mill, uh, they mm-hmm. pack food in backpacks and at home over the weekend for school children. Uh, and typically they do that for the winter breaks too, but not this year. Um, does that surprise you? Um, no, you know, during the pandemic, we heard a, a lot about food shelves closing down because they didn't have enough resources um, or they didn't have enough volunteers. And it, it, it is happening. But um, and, 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 and again, even, I should say, because in order to meet the demand that they have for just the weekends, they can't do the winter break um, donations. And, you know, I, I realize that the need has increased. Right. Uh, one of the things that I always tell people and I and I say this when I go out and I speak out in the community, I say, if you think that someone needs the help more than you do, then you should also visit the food shelf. Because that's an excuse that a lot of the times we say, someone needs it more than I do, and I right. am taking their resources. Go visit the food shelf. Um, I I always say that we're lucky. Mankato is lucky. We, we're in a great community, and, um, and, and there's always going to be resources. And, and the great thing about Minnesota is that we have a really strong food network, and, and that is what makes us successful. Let's take another phone call as we talk about food insecurity in Minneapolis. Emma Jean is on the line. Good morning, Emma Jean. Thank you for calling. Yes, thank you so much. Um, I wanted to call and talk about college student food insecurity. I work with the Augsburg University Campus Kitchen, where we run a free food shelf, um, working really hard, especially to provide culturally appropriate groceries. Um, We also do cooking classes and neighborhood food distribution and reclamation. And I think um, a lot of times it's missing from this conversation that between inflation, low wages, high fees and tuition, college mm-hmm. students are really feeling the squeeze uh, on food insecurity and their families are too. Yeah, because they're they're just making ends meet with the tuition and they may be working um, part-time jobs. Uh, that's heartbreaking because they are furthering their education and they need that focus. Yeah, and, you know, they have this terrific potential. They are working together 
our, you know, our campus kitchen is run mostly by student workers. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a, a really important piece of this. Also, a lot of college students don't live in a place where quality groceries are accessible if you don't have a car. Right. And, and again, uh, Augsburg, uh, you have a food shop there available to students? That's correct. We also run cooking workshops. Um, do a lot of neighborhood food distribution. You can check us out at augsburg.edu slash campus kitchen. Mm-hmm. And like um, the other folks talking, uh, we also, you know, gratefully accept donations. Mm-hmm. Right, because uh, with the, the cash, you can make decisions and buy food in bulk, and that may serve you better. That's um, correct. Thank you for calling in. Uh, let's take one more phone call. In Minneapolis, we have Lane on the line. Good morning, Lane. What did you want to share with us as we talk about food and about hunger? Hi. Um, I recently moved here from another state, um, which had much worse infrastructure to mm-hmm. help with food and housing insecurity. And I have just been overcome by the kindness of Minnesotans and how well, like, caseworkers at SNAP and other benefits work compared to in other states, um, where the gatekeeping is a lot more intense and benefits that people might qualify for they do not get. Um, I was surprised by how much I qualified here when I got a caseworker with Hennepin County um, because I had been told in another state that I didn't qualify for a lot of things that I actually was supposed to. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I am actually right now making checks mix to share with my neighbors, which is something <laughs> I haven't been able to afford to do in so many years because as my adult kids became adults, They couldn't even move out. They had to stay at home and not go to college so they could help support their younger siblings. Um, There is so much. Well, Lane, we just have two minutes here left. What do you want people to know about what it is like to live with food insecurity? What do you want to stress? It is agonizing. My daughter concealed that my husband was abusing her because she was so afraid of being homeless And so she lived with horrible abuse for years. And I did not know not having the money for food or housing makes every bad situation imaginable worse. Worse. All right. It's Um, so important to protect the resources. All right. Uh, I want to thank you for your call. We we still have just a minute and a half here left. And just uh, in closing, Allison, what do you want people to know? Again, we want folks to, to take action and not just be stuck in despair. Take action. The, the only good thing about this issue is that everyone can help. So if you can give financially, please do to Second Harvest or Echo Food Shelf or Every Meal or your local food shelf. Give of your time. Um, come and volunteer. We all need volunteer help right now. And then use your voice, not only to advocate for those changes, but to make it okay for your neighbors to ask for help when they mm-hmm. need it. And quickly, Daisy, uh, you said you've had people who've, re- who've come for help and then they've turned around when things gotten better and become volunteers. They have, you know, and, and as Allison has said, take action, whether it's on the receiving end or on the giving end. Mm-hmm. Um, we make Minnesota what it is. I, I want to thank uh, all of our listeners who called in and shared their stories. Uh, thank you for, for being willing to do that, the courage it takes to do that. And uh, I, I learned a lot during this conversation. And I hope people will be moved to action to, to, to do something uh, to help our neighbors out. Uh, we've been talking with Allison O'Toole, the CEO of Second Harvest Heartland, which distributes food to about 400 food shelves in Minnesota, as well as Daisy DeLeon. Escada, the manager of the Echo Food Shelf down in Mankato. Uh, thanks for your time, everyone. Have a safe and wonderful holiday weekend. This conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom.
Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.